Welcome to the Sermon of the Week. Before you begin listening, let me pray that you would encounter God right where you are. Father, I ask that your Spirit would be present wherever people are listening. May they be aware of your presence and receptive to the voice of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you listen to this week's message.
This morning, um, I have a word from the Lord um, for you, and, um, and by the way, didn't Hank do a great job last week? We're so thankful. <clears throat> so thankful for the men that have had the opportunity to stand uh, on this pulpit and, and share the word. So this morning, I want to I share about brokenness, um, you know, experiences that lead to broken things are never pleasant. Um, they can be traumatic at times. And, you know, this year for our family, we've experienced a number of things in our lives that have brought new meanings to broken things. Uh, let me give you the examples. Uh, in February, uh, we were just coming back from Nashville visiting our daughter. <clears throat> and as we're landing into Charlotte, uh, I get a, uh, one of those alerts that there's storms in your area. Uh, just beware. I'm like, okay, well, we're on the plane, so that's, that's all right. We never did see anything on that night because it was dark by the time we landed. But the next morning, uh, Lois just, David, David. I'm like, what's going on? Look outside. And basically this massive tree, probably a trunk about this wide in, in diameter, fell snapping a tree in front of it like a twig, and then on its way out snapped a tree that was just about dead in half, and then on the way going, this is a massive tree, took another tree down, and then another, I mean, it was a disaster. Um, so that was our experience in February. Now, in April, our daughter Sammy, while driving on the highway, going home by herself, all of a sudden, her sunroof glass shattered with glass going inside the car. It's like, what in the world happened? Broken things. In June, two months later, so I, I kind of noticed that, like two months cycles. Where are we, like in August? Okay, September, October? We're going to pray for October. But, <clears throat> but in June, during one of the Nashville storms, if you're familiar with Nashville, well, our daughter in Nashville... Uh, they had a tree in the backyard belonging to their neighbor that literally fell almost on their house. 
missing our granddaughter's room by a little bit, but in the process, taking down the power inlet into the house. So it ripped cables. It ripped part of the siding. Like everything just destroyed. They were without power, lost their food, you know, just broken things. And then finally, <laughs> our son Jake and his wife Maggie just saw Jake. Uh, another one of those Mint Hill storms that we get. I don't know why Mint Hill gets more storms than any other place in, in Charlotte. I'm not sure why. But uh, they had, um, well, they had had a, an accident uh, probably a few weeks before. And uh, they were okay, thankfully. Uh, but they had to get a new vehicle uh, because their car was totaled. And so they got a new vehicle, brand new vehicle, parked outside, one of those big storms. This tree branch about this wide in diameter fell, boom, straight into their windshield, shattered the windshield, ruined the, the roof of the car, the hood of the car. And that's not to mention that they went through three air conditioning units in, what, six months, I think, Jake? About six months, right? Broken things. Yeah, really. Broken things. It's hard. Whenever you go through experiences that where broken things uh, take place, <clears throat> they're always hard to deal with. Now, when broken things happen, uh, if you break a glass, if you break a dish, whatever you break, typically you discard those things. You throw them out. Sadly, at times, broken things include broken marriages. They include broken dreams, broken aspirations, broken hearts, and the list can go on. But there's good news here, and <clears throat> this is not going to be a bring-me-down message. There are good news in the midst of broken things because God does not view brokenness the way we do. And my prayer today is that after this message, you'll be able to look at the broken parts of your life and you'll be able to give them to God and you'll be able to dream again and to, and to have aspirations of what God has for you all over again because God is a God of restoration. Amen. In the book, Unchristian, there's a quote that struck me. I want to read it for you. I think it should be. Uh, there you go. It says, as for Christians, well... We really have just one thing going for us. We have publicly declared <clears throat> that we are desperately in need of another to give us his righteousness, to complete us, to live in us. We have publicly and flagrantly abandoned the project of self-justification that is at the heart of every person's compulsion to manage perceptions. This means telling the world before the world does its own investigative journalism, that we're not as bad as they think sometimes. We're worse. If we're being honest about our own beauty and brokenness, the beautiful broken one will make himself known to our neighbors. Will make himself known. If I were to ask you for the definition, your definition of brokenness, in all likelihood, you probably would share what brokenness mean according to your own experiences in life. But there's a beautiful story in the New Testament about brokenness, and I want to read that for us today. It's found in Matthew 6, 26, sorry, verses 7 to 13. It'll be on your screen behind me. A woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, 
which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. And when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. You know, it amazes me. Even just stopping at that verse, I'm asking myself, like, what perspective to have so wrong Having experienced Jesus as the Son of God, walking with them, the miracles that they saw, this is at the end of Jesus' ministry. This is when he was in the house of Bethany, in Bethany, and he was being ministered to. He was just reclining, having a, a dinner, and it's unusual for a woman even to show up much less even to just go over to Jesus and break a bottle of very expensive perfume, oil of nard that was very fragrant, and break it over his head. It's unusual. But instead of focusing on what naturally seemed unusual, they focus on a spiritual reality that is just so wrong. Why this waste? They, it highlighted the heart that they had at that point. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and given, and, and the money given to the poor. It sounds so good. It sounds like the right thing to do. But listen to what Jesus says. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? Like, stop it with your nonsense. Why are you talking such nonsense? She has done a beautiful thing. And it's not just a beautiful thing. She has done a beautiful thing to me. Why is that a beautiful thing to him? When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. What an incredible story of a woman whose perspective was to bless Jesus, and she broke this bottle of very expensive perfume to bless her. This story is unusual, yes, but it's practical and a beautiful illustration of brokenness expressed through probably a, a, a very practical action that, uh, toward Jesus. In fact, Jesus said that as long as this story will be read, as long as we would know the memory of what she has done will be remembered in history. That was 2,000 years ago. I don't know how many messages have been preached on this passage. I don't know how many people, how many of us have read this story over and over again. But this very story, this very example will never be forgotten as long as we have breath and we are alive and we read this book. Biblical brokenness means that we acknowledge our own broken and sinful nature. It means that we turn to God for healing and for restoration. And we receive strength and we receive also the transforming power of God through His grace and mercy. Biblical brokenness refers to a state of deep spiritual and emotional humility that brings vulnerability and surrender to God. Brokenness, friends, is foundational 
to each and every one of us if we are to grow and to connect with the Father at a deeper level. In Psalm 51, verse 17, is a very popular verse that I think we all know. And it says, my sacrifice, this is David. He was heartbroken. He realized after he committed a sin of adultery with this woman, Bathsheba, that his, his spirit was broken, his heart was broken. And so my, cross, my sacrifice of God is a broken spirit, a broken, a contrite heart, God, you will not despise. And that's a beautiful verse. But in order to fully comprehend what David was saying here, we need to back it up one verse. Look at verse 16. It says, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. What is it that God takes pleasure in? My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. God, you will not despise that. Why is this so important? Because David discovered that there is nothing that we can offer to God. There's nothing that we can give to God that will appease him. Animal sacrifices were great. They were part of the very spiritual tradition of the, the Jewish people and the Jewish nation. If you read in the Old Testament, man, I mean, when they had festivals, they offered hundreds of animal sacrifices to God. And what God is telling David through the inspiration of his spirit is saying, hey, animal sacrifices were not what God was looking for. God was looking for brokenness. There's something that we miss, I believe, in our Christian walk with the Lord is that sometimes we try to clean up our act we try in our own strength, I want to give more. Maybe if I serve more, maybe if I busy myself, maybe if I read more, maybe if I worship more, maybe if I do all of these activities that will prompt God not to be mad at me when I miss the mark and I sin and I, and I mess it up. As if God could actually be mad at us when we sin. The very sacrifice of Jesus makes provision for the very fact that God doesn't, make, doesn't get mad at us. He's already gotten mad at his son. He put the sin of the world, the curses of sin on his son for our good. God already knew and God already knows all of your flaws, all of your failures before you even make them. And so, David, in essence, again, was saying, external religious form will never replace internal, heartfelt brokenness before God. Internal heart brokenness before God is what he is looking for. The one thing that God desires more than anything is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Friends, God uses men and women who have been broken and have been restored. 
I think this is an area where we probably have different opinions because, you know, at times we look at people that are very successful. They look good on the outside. They're polished. They, they have a good life. They're, things are going well for them. And we look at that and we say, I want to be like that. I want that. I want to drive a fun car and, and have all the, 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 the expensive clothes and, and, and go play uh, golf at, a, at, a, at, a, at a, a country club and do all the fun stuff and, you know, have a nice big house and all of the, the amenities that come with that. But here's the reality. That's one way. That's one thing. And we have got to be careful that we don't necessarily put the, the wrong uh, focus or focus on the wrong things. That, not, that may be one way to look at it, but here's another way to look at it. There are men, women, that when you look at them, they may not look so good because maybe they have experienced failure. They've, they've had flaws in their lives. They've gone through difficulties in life. And you know what? Some people will look at People that have gone through failure experiences, that have gone through flaws in their lives, and they will discard them, just like we discard broken things. Well, that person is not good enough. That person is, look at all the mistakes that he has made. Look at all the problems that she's created. And so we are so quick to discard the very people that God oftentimes chooses to bless because they have been broken. Give me somebody that has been broken by God and let me work with them over and over, many times over, someone that is so polished and all put together. You know what I'm talking about. God feels the same. You know, if you, look at, if you take a, a closer look at the Scriptures and you look at the men that God has used throughout the Bible, you quickly see a couple of things. You'll see blaring imperfections. You'll see flaws. You'll see failures. But you also see humility that caused them to go to God and cry out to Him and say, God, I need your transforming power. Look at Abraham. He is the father of the Jewish nation. He is the one that in James chapter 2 is called a friend of God. Can you imagine to be called a friend of God? Because God had conversations with Abraham like you would have a conversation with your best friend. A friend of God. But what did Abraham experience? He experienced failure. We know what he did. He kind of tried to rush the timing of God's timing. So he said, well, you know, God said I'm going to be a, a, a very numerous nation as far as the stars of the sky and the sand and the sea. So let me just help the situation out. Let me just have a baby with my wife's servant and see if that will speed up the process. He got impatient. And he, frankly... You say, what, what did he do? Oh, you know, he was unfaithful to his wife, although she agreed to it. He also lied twice to the Pharaoh in Egypt, telling him that his wife was his sister because he was afraid that the, 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 the king of Egypt would basically take 
his life and take his wife and just all right, messed up mindset. And yet he is a friend of God. Look at Moses. What a great leader. The great deliverer. The Bible calls him a great prophet. He struggled with impatient, impatience and anger. When he struck that rock, God didn't tell him to strike that rock and, and break something in the process. God told him, just hit the rock and water will flow. It's like, these people, ah, I'm so fed up with them. He was impatient. But not only that, never forget that the great deliverer was a great murderer before. Wow, God used a murderer? Yes, he did. Why? Because he was broken before God. And I think of David. David was, is called a man after God's own heart. And he also committed adultery with Bathsheba. We know the story. But not only that, he had the husband of Bathsheba murdered. Basically said to his commander, just put him in the front, right under the wall where we're fighting. And, and just, you know, he is going to be defending us. No, his intention was so that he would eliminate the competition. That's found in 2 Samuel 11, if you want to read that. There are others that undoubtedly have gone through failures. Maybe you can identify with some of those failures yourself. And you can stand here and tell your story of God's redemptive power. Because you know what? He honors brokenness. And I look at my life, I've had my share of failures, um, all I have to say is thank God for His grace. Thank God for my wife's grace. You can say yes to that. I'm thankful because, you know what? There are none of us that are perfect, but some of us maybe have more reason to be imperfect. Friends, we were not created. None of us were created to, to show a display of, of an appearance of perfection and put all together. You know what we were created for? We were created to display God's power and grace through our imperfections. We were created to display brokenness. That is what I believe is more attractive to this world than perfection and knowing every Bible verse that there is to know and knowing all the doctrines and all the theology and all that stuff. I mean, you are like an apologist second to none. You can defend every individual problem that can, they can bring to you. Well, the Bible has inconsistencies. Explain this. Oh, I got an answer for that. Boom, there it is. But you know what? If people look at your life, do they see someone? If people look at my life, do they see someone that has been broken by God who reflects Jesus to them? This amazing thing is that when we are broken before God, Jesus 
takes the broken pieces of our lives. And unexpectedly, it transforms them. And what many people might throw out and consider it trash, it creates a beautiful thing out of that that allows the light of God to shine through. That's what we call a mosaic. And it's a beautiful thing. Perhaps that's why stained glass windows are so beautiful and popular and becoming more popular because brokenness is a good thing. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3, it says this, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For God's kingdom or the kingdom of heaven is theirs. When we realize that we are poor and broken, we will become, friends, God's gift to this world, shining the light of the gospel of Jesus and the light of Jesus, of God himself, to people around us. Broken people who humbly serve God. Broken people that, 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 that realize their need for God. They worship God. They worship in authenticity. They serve God with humility because they know that they have received much. And they know that they don't deserve it. And so they worship God for his grace and his mercy. That's why gratitude is so key to the Christian life because our response to God because of his grace and mercy is and always will be worship and service. Why? Because he deserves it. Why? Because we are so undeserving. God is close to those who are broken. In Psalm 34, verse 18, it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who have a crushed spirit. In other words, what the psalmist is saying is that God is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who have lost hope. Let me ask you, how is your hope meter today? At what stage is your hope? Are you at 50%, 25%, 75%? How is your hope level, your hope meter? Are you struggling with hopelessness? If you are, and in humility you realize that you need the God of all hope, know this, he is close, more close to you than you realize in your hopelessness. Hopelessness brings sometimes isolation. Hopelessness, hopelessness causes us to go deeper and deeper into ourselves until we are like completely left alone. There have been reasons, <clears throat> excuse me, seasons in my life when I have experienced hopelessness and thought that the best way for me to deal with that was to just lock myself in and just not deal with people. Have you been there? Come on, be honest. Have you been there? Put your hand up so that everybody else can see you. Yeah, yeah, look, look around. I'm not alone. You're not alone. You want to lock yourself away and think, you know what? If I can only just, just freeze this moment, 
and not have to deal with all of this crap that I'm going through. I could just experience some peace and quiet, but that is just a lie. It's a lie. Because you feel like you're stuck in the mire of your own junk and you want to get out. You're trying to get yourself out of your own mess. I was trying to get myself out of my own mess. The things that I had created with my own hands. In those times when we feel no hope and we think that the best way to hide, just know this, that God invites you. God is calling you. God is wooing you and me. Friends, if you are there in that place of hopelessness today, God is calling you by your name. He's inviting you into what? He's inviting you into brokenness. And he's inviting you into trust. We have to start viewing our lives in the light of eternity and not the things that we are going through, the struggles, the afflictions, the difficulties that we're experiencing. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. He says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them. And I know that some of us will probably stop and pause and think, but wait a minute, you don't know my struggles. You don't know the difficulties that I am going through. It it may be okay for Paul to say these are light and momentary struggles, but you don't know my struggle. And you know what? I don't, but God does. And his word is true, whether they are difficult or light. The fact of the matter is that God is right there next to you. He is with you. And if we can just shift the focus from the momentary, the temporal, into the eternal, wow, that changes everything, doesn't it? It changes everything because it says that the eternal glory will far outweigh all of the struggles, all the difficulties you're going through, all of the heartache, all the pain that you're experiencing today. It will outweigh all of them. Eternal perspective. The eternal glory. This is Isaiah 57 and 15. It says, For this is what the high and exalted one, that's God, says, He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place. We know God dwells in heaven. He is in heaven. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Everything was made by him, done by him. He owns it all. And yet he says, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Friends, when you have a heart attack, you've seen, you know, in business now, in, 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 in virtually every business, corporate business, you go, you turn around, and you see a fire extinguisher and a defibrillator. And if someone has a heart attack, you can easily go and follow the instructions and and. Revive them. I want you to know that God 
is in the business of reviving hearts. God wants to revive your heart. And if there's something that died in your heart because of circumstances, because of things that you've gone through and experienced in your life, He will revive you. He will take God's Holy Spirit and defibrillate your heart until your heart begins to beat again and start dreaming again and start living again because that's what God does. He is a powerful God. And what a privilege that though he says he lives in heaven, in the high and holy place, but he also says that he lives, pay attention, with you. Not in you, with you. He already lives in you, inside of you. But now he chooses to make his dwelling place next to you. Isn't that incredible? He is choosing to come and sit next to you. Why is that so important? Because in your struggles, in your difficulties, in your pain, in the th- circumstances you've gone through, God says, I'm with you. I'm with you. The word that we got this morning from James, his word moves things. His word transforms things. His word has the capacity and the power to modify the very essence of the difficulties that you're going through, the difficulties that I'm experiencing in my life, because his word is powerful and true. That is our God, the God that we serve. Let me close with this. God gives favor to the broken. In Isaiah 62 and verse 2, it says this. Has not my hand made all of these things, and so they came into being, declares the Lord? These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who who are humble and contrite in spirit, and those who tremble at my word. Friends, God gives favor to the broken in spirit. To those who are contrite in heart, why is that? Why does God focus on people who are brokenhearted and contrite in spirit? Because God honors humility. This verse reminds us that God has created all things. You read that in the first part of the verse. He has created everything. Why is that so important? Why is it so important to know that God has made all these things? What was the center of worship for the Jewish people? The temple. Was the temple made by divine hands? It was not. It was made by human hands. Not, has not my hand made all these things so that they came into being? These are the ones I look on with favor. God is saying, you know what? Hey, you can go to worship on Sunday. You can read Bible verses until you're a walking Bible. You can know every worship song until your nickname will be Spotify. I mean, you can know it all. But what God is really looking for and what he pours his favor on is those who have a humble and contrite heart. Now, the word contrite is a very important word here. Because from the original text, the word contrite can actually be translated this way. Check this out. Lame. 
crippled or disabled. And the sooner, friends, we all begin to realize that God in us wants to shine and that we, without God, we are absolutely spiritually crippled, the sooner we will run to Him. God's eyes and His favor are on those who embrace their lame condition and turn to brokenness. God delights to pour His grace and His favor when we are helpless and we realize that we are. It is a blessing, friends, to be helpless because God wants to pour His blessing on the broken. During the last week of Jesus' life, we read it in Matthew 26 when we started. While he was eating a meal, this woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. It was made of pure nard. She broke it and she poured that perfume on Jesus' head. This woman's actions of breaking this alabaster jar of perfume is symbolic. We know from what Jesus said in the Word that she was anointing him because his body would be broken on a cross. But that also is symbolic for us because we must be broken and be willing to be broken as God desires us to be broken. Biblical brokenness does not mean being shattered like a broken glass. Our brokenness allows God to make us whole because brokenness tells God, put me together again. And that gives meaning to our very lives. In fact, God breaking us adds meaning that is beyond our imagination and our expectations because God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. Biblical brokenness is not the same as what we see in the natural. I don't know where you're at in your journey today with God, but can you admit Maybe today that you've come to a place of brokenness, to that place where the only way to go forward is to go to God and say, God, I need, I need you. I need you. This woman poured this very expensive bottle of perfume, jar of perfume over Jesus, and in the naturally produced a beautiful, amazing scent A fragrance, a spiritual aroma also was produced because of what she did. Her action was not just a natural action. It was a spiritual, it had deep spiritual meaning. I want my life to carry that same aroma. Don't you? I want people to to smell Jesus on me. I want people to know that, that, you know what, I'm nothing of myself. It is by the grace and mercy 
of God. In Lamentations 3.22, I believe it is, or 23, it says that His mercies are new every morning. His mercies. We have not been destroyed because of His mercies, it says. Great is His faithfulness. I want to carry that same fragrance, don't you? Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. If you live in the Charlotte area, we encourage you to worship with us on Sundays at 10 a.m. We encourage you also to give to this ministry so we can continue spreading the gospel to our city and throughout the world. You can go to our website at missioncommunity.cc, click on the Give button, and the rest is simple. Have a great rest of your week. God bless.